Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Hey everyone, welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I am pleased to have a guest on today that uh, many of you have actually asked me, John, can you have this person on? John, check out this video that uh, he did with Tucker Carlson. Check out this this video or this article that he wrote on No Enemies to the Right and all these different views that are being debated right now. His name is Charles Hayward. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing great and pleased to be here. Yeah, and, and the website, if people want to check out more of your work after this, is The Worthy House, theworthyhouse.com. Uh, you're a businessman. You, you call yourself an internet scribbler. I called you a political philosopher. But uh, what, what you're doing, I think, is fairly, it's interesting to me. And I just want to say this before I ask you some questions and we hear you from you. Um, I've listened to a few of your interviews, uh, Charles. And the thing I think that people find endearing about you is that one thing is you don't care about what other people think. Am I right? This this is true. Okay. And you're you're very honest. You're you're sometimes maybe blunt, but you, you say what you think. And what you say are sometimes things that need to be said that other people maybe they think them, but they're not gonna say them. And so there's a bravery element to this as well. And um and so I appreciate well, let's that. Let's not overstate that. I mean, the reason I can say these things is because I'm independently wealthy and don't have any points of vulnerability. And so <laughs> so you know, let's not describe something to virtue that's more to <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, you're humble too now. All right. So uh, I wanna <laughs> I wanna start off with a, a question for you. Um, there's, there's so many things I'd love to talk to you about, but the, the main one, the reason that I initially wanted you to, on the podcast was my audience, I would say, is primarily evangelical Christians that uh, they're conservative, right? They don't like what's happened to their churches, to their country. And th- recently, I would say what, in the last year, there was an incident that you actually were part of, which I, I thought was interesting. I didn't realize this is how the no enemies to the right thing developed, but uh, there was a headmaster at a Christian school, uh, Thomas Accord, and he had he had an alt account, apparently, uh, that he had posted some things on that were uh, considered uh, racially insensitive. There, there were some things I remember I thought were, were not great about marriage, but it was it was this Anon account that had been exposed. Mm-hmm. And this became a big deal to try to uh, pin him on anyone who had a relationship with him or even associated with him on a podcast or something. Rod Dreyer got involved. And you, I didn't realize you got involved and you just, you don't know anything about this headmaster, but you said no enemies to the right. And that's where this whole thing. This headmaster, I I, I deliberately have made no attempt whatsoever to get any of the details of what Dreyer 
was accusing him uh, because I don't care. It's completely irrelevant what, what, what he he said. Uh, hence the, my, my point, no enemies to the right, uh, which I'm actually writing a follow-up piece to that. Uh, uh, better phrasing might be no enemies on the right. That's a technical distinction. But this, the, the, the same basic principle is the one that I was trying to enunciate. Okay. And then you had people, though, in, in our circles, uh, I would say, well, in the, in the more conservative religious circles, but evangelical circles in particular, that uh, just, I, I guess, could not abide this. Like people like Neil Shenvey, uh, there's a there's an account called Local Distance, sure, and, and and they started putting out materials basically saying you're trying to blink you're trying to wink at Nazis. I'm summarizing, but we should be fine with Nazis. So is that what you're trying to say to everyone? Is we should just all be fine with Nazis? Well, no, I mean it, it, I mostly don't care about Nazis. Is I guess my point. My my point is that this, and I wrote a long piece. So I, I did that thing. I responded. It all started with a throwaway comment on. Dreyer. So Dreyer, as usual, was ranting in his kind of impotent fashion, trying to signal to the left that he's one of the good guys, and he, you know, he, he's he's busy policing the right actively in order to benefit the left. And one of the things he was doing was attacking this Acord guy, who's I think a school teacher at his kid's school. Though of course, his right. account had nothing whatsoever to do with his teaching. Uh, so Rod's claim was not that his children were being mistaught. His, his claim, though he tried to elide that difference, his claim was that this person uh, is not a good person and I need to tell everybody that to, to virtue signal and show that I am on the side of advancing the causes of the left, even though I claim to be advancing the causes of the right. So I commented on this because I was bored <laughs> one evening. Who cares, Rod? No enemies to the right, which of course is a inversion of the original political philosophy enunciated by Alexander Kerensky, in his combats with the Bolsheviks in 1916 and 1917. There are important distinctions there, which we, we probably won't get into here, though, as I say, this, this piece I'm, I'm writing does get into those distinctions between how that philosophy is applied on the left and on the right. My point is that, and I followed this up with a kind of colloquy with Daniel Miller in I Am 1776, the online magazine, enunciating the, um, wow, I'm like using the word enunciating like three times today. I, I must be, uh, my vocabulary improvement calendar is right there. It must be on it. Anyway, uh, so the, the, the core point is that all that matters for the right now, that is the present day right, is defeating the left. And the uh, and these attempts to police the rightward boundaries of the right, which a huge percentage of prominent people on the right or prominent conservatives a huge percentage of those people spend a huge percentage of their time policing the right. Acord is just one of innumerable examples. Right. In other words, trying to cancel people who are deemed in their view, which is typically dictated to them by the left, as too far to the right. And so my point is that we should spend no time whatsoever on this. That doesn't mean we necessarily need to spend our time like embracing uh, literal Nazis or something like that, or people who we disagree with. We can have disagreements on the right. We can have tactical disagreements. We have political disagreements. We can have philosophical disagreements. But those disagreements should not be aired in public, which is done merely to benefit the right and to and to benefit the individuals so supposedly on the right who are are want to kowtow to the left. Should not be done in public and should not be done in a way except uh, with an eye on the prize, shall we say, which is total, permanent, utter defeat of the left. And so anything that is done that is not advanced, that goal should not be done. This is just a, a very practical way of approaching politics. It's, that's all I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, yeah. I mean so the, the, 
there are enormous amount of straw men floating around about this, as well as just total ignorance, as well as some good pieces. And again, this is why I'm writing a, a follow-up piece on it. But this is basically common sense. And anyone who, who, who attacks it typically doesn't address that point. They try to gussy up their, their underlying belief. And their underlying belief is that I don't care enough about winning. I don't care enough about my, my principles. Instead, I want to continue to allow the left to have total power forever in this country. So let, let me just make it concrete for everyone so everyone understands. If you did have someone, let's say, uh, I don't want to say any names, but someone prominent, let's say on the right who had a, oh, I don't know, a, a show on Fox News or something, and it, a video came out, and this particular person had said some very racially insensitive things. Mm -hmm. How, what would uh, Charles Hayward do about that? What would you would say? Absolutely nothing. It would nothing not. I mean, I, I yeah, might okay. not want my daughter to marry that person. I don't, may not <laughs> want that person to be like my buddy at the barbecue. Uh, for, or I might, frankly. I mean, that that, that remains to be determined. It, it, you, you can. I mean, it's very. There's no reason why people with unplatable, unpalatable political views should necessarily not be socially acceptable. Uh, that, that's a case-by-case -case determination. There's no general rule. Certainly the left makes no such general rule, nor should the right make such a general rule. As I've written, I actually wrote a review. My original line of thinking on this was some years ago, actually, in a review of Rod Dreher's Benedict option. Now, Dreher has been spending the past year running around lying about me in various forums and then canceling my Substack <laughs> subscription to his Substack when I commented on it and so on. But oh my. my point was, uh, my point was the that the, Everybody associates, and so just taking this, I mean, we can take it into a more directly Christian context, people associate with sinners. And as I put it in my Benedict Option review, in fact, it may surprise you to know that I, too, am a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying that, you, that people who sin, like, for example, racism is not any special sin. It's If it is a sin, it's a merely a variation on the, the core sin of pride. That's all. Sure. There's nothing yeah. special about racism as an instance of pride as opposed to things that have no racial component to an instance of pride. There's nothing particularly heinous about racism at all. That's just the truth it's from a Christian theological perspective. And so it, it may be the case that I would in fact socially associate with such a person. That I'm getting sidetracked. My point is that, yeah. if, that if that comes out, I just don't care. If there are things that I can do uh, politically that advance my overall goals with that person that I regard as beneficial, then I'd, I'd do those things. And if I didn't, there weren't things, then I wouldn't pay any attention to that person at all. The end, wouldn't think about it again. What about someone like a, a Lauren Boebert, who has a moral <laughs> failure that's on camera, who's advancing the goals of the right somewhat, at least she's stalling the goals of the left. And now there's a, a dilemma because she doesn't share, uh, at least in one instance, she, she was a sinner, as you just said, and yes. didn't share Christians' values. There are Christians calling for her to be uh, you know, she needs to be primary. She needs to step down. These kinds of things. Um, what, what do you say to that? Well, I have a very dim. I don't really follow retail politics, so I have a very dim view of these. Uh, what, from what little I understand, of a lot of kind of politicians on the right who you know, adopt 
uh, who purport to speak for people on the right or MAGA or, or, or what have you, because everything I hear about them, they sound like clowns. But my objection to them is that they're clowns, not that they're sinners. And, and that there's a heavy, it feels like there's a heavy grifter element, that they're not actually fighting for, for power, but they're attempting to either aggrandize themselves, gain money, what have you, who knows. But, so, but I don't care at all about these people's sinning, uh, whatever, like Bobert. I mean, my objection to her is that she appears to be a clown, not that she appears to be a sinner. I hear you. Um, and, and there are times that, uh, it's, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you could put some other uh, senators yeah. and, and congressmen in there and you, you, you know, the same analysis. Um, I think that this has been instinctual for me and for many conservatives for a while. And it's just an understanding of the times we live in, because um, I, I would say, I don't know if you've, you've heard this term before, but uh, Dr. Kerry Roberts has uh, used this term. He's from Liberty University, the American virtue tradition, which he associates with John Adams. And he, and he says there's three competing traditions in America. There's this Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian, and then this Adams approach. And the and the Adams approach, he says, I, I think that's what maybe you're running up against is this idea that the most important thing is the uh, the squeaky cleanness, the character mm -hmm. of that individual who's in the public office. And so we should look for people with this this great character. And that uh, seems to, to ring true in a way, but in a world where there's so few with good character and those uh, rules do not apply to the left and you are fighting for your very survival in a war, as it seems. Uh, it, it seems like those priorities are second to survival. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, I think that's that's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. I'll okay. add a few wrinkles here. I'm all for virtue. I mean, I like virtue. I try to be virtuous. But more importantly, from a political philosophy perspective, you mentioned political philosophy early, a successful society, which my aim is to recreate a successful society, which is not our society, the ruling class and the society as a whole, but in particular the ruling class, has to be largely virtuous. Not 100% virtuous, but you can't run a successful ruling class that is not virtuous. I mean, I prefer Christian virtue. There are other types of virtue, obviously, that you can talk about. Pre-Christian virtues are nonetheless virtues in their own frame. Sure. Um, so I'm all for virtue. But right now, and right now, the left has all the power. So Let's say in the future, the power of the left will be totally broken. And as I like to say, the left will be as discredited as Mithras. And people will say, oh, yeah, there used to be like Mithraism and there used to be leftism and those things were long ago. And who really knows about them because they were stupid. Uh, and and it, but at that point, there will, in fact, be enemies on the right. Uh, I, I'm willing to cooperate with all sorts of people now. But in, in terms of forming and running the new post left society, new divisions and existing new divisions will arise and existing divisions will become important again because there are plenty of people on the right who I would not necessarily want to be running the society. So, for example, like I have no objection whatsoever in the current frame to what may loosely be called the pagan right. And I'm friendly with people uh, indirectly like Bronze Age pervert and these kind of Nietzschean. But I don't really want to limit a society run by those people. Admittedly, it would probably be better than our current regime, but it wouldn't be the kind of society that I want. And so at some point, those people theoretically could become political enemies. And that's something you can you can deal with then. This is a present day uh, mm -hmm. admonition for political success for the most important aim, which is breaking the power of the left, not some kind of philosophical determination that there are not theoretically no enemies on the right. I don't, this is just a, a, an aside, I suppose, but uh, on that pagan right, and I, I don't know a lot of people on the pagan right, but the few I have known, 
have been interestingly very attracted to Christianity. <laughs> they, they, they just seem like they, they, they want, uh, they don't want the modern era that we're living in and classical liberalism or social justice. And so they want an anchor and the paganism stuff doesn't usually offer that anchor, or at least they don't believe it. They don't really believe it. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's always the problem with modern recreations of supposedly ancient beliefs or doctrines that they're fake. I mean, you can't, yeah. you can't recreate something that is totally unmoored from the society in which it's developed and say like, I'm a druid now. I mean, it's just dumb. It's like yeah. the classic example of this, of course, is Alistair Crowley and his you know made up Satanism, uh, which is very bad. I'm, I right. don't approve of it, but it was also very clownish. And uh, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you can get into some very bad stuff and uh, summon up some very bad things going down that path, but it's not real in any kind of meaningful sense. Well, yeah, it has this ancient feel. I live actually in an area, I'm close to a college campus, and there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, witchcraft associated with it. The town has like two or three witch shops that you drive through. <laughs> yeah. They have, they have as many witch shops as they have bars. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's it's weird. But, uh, you know, the, the students there, I think, think that they are finding some kind of an ancient wisdom that has been long forgotten by the modern world, and they've got the key, and they've got the secret, and um, of course, is attracting people on both sides, but uh, but anyway, I, I know I'm we're getting out of it's interesting to me though, getting out of the topic at hand. Um, so all right, so no enemies to to the right. Uh, this is a practical th for this time period that we're in right now. The situation that's that's what that's about. This isn't about for all time as an ideology that we should apply universally. This is just about a particular moment. I think people sure. need to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're saying. But people, it's easy to understand that. But the various people who spend their time attacking the, the, the philosophy or attacking me uh, don't want to understand that. They're not interested in understanding it. And you can tell that, among other ways, but they never link to any of the underlying written pieces on the topic. They offer yeah. tendentious lying summaries and straw men. And when these things are pointed out to them, they never course correct. So these people are, you know, by these people, I mean, these various evangelical influencers. I'm not yes, evangelical. Yeah. I'm, I'm Eastern Orthodox. So I don't actually know who uh, these people keep cropping up who are apparently famous, who I have literally never heard of, but they're, they're clearly not interested in intellectual discussion. They're clearly interested in some combination of uh, virtue signaling or signaling to the left that they're not a threat or ensuring that their monetary gravy train keeps going. I don't really know what, what drives these people because I don't understand the underlying dynamics, but they're not interested in in learning or in thinking of, you know, maybe they when you come to some conclusion, well, this is partially correct or partially incorrect because I think this and I don't think Haywood's right about this or whatever. Right. That's not the discussion that they're having. They, they set up these these fake arguments and, and you know, rant about them all the time in a kind of low IQ fashion. Well, in the Christian circles, it, it, the concern seems to be that we are going to corrupt ourselves, that, that we're going to allow too many people into our circles, our, our neat, clean Christian circles uh, on the right that uh, now we're going to have a bunch of and the, the thing. I, I, I guess I, my cynical side, you know, being a, a little bit involved in politics here and there and knowing people very involved is that you guys are already corrupted, <laughs> like, you, you know. Sure. It, it, it's already happened, but um, but that seems to be the concern. You're going to. Uh, well, lead... but not, that, that concern is not expressed precise, precisely in those terms. So that could be an underlying concern. But most of the time, it's not. It's it's in a, a, the a, the expressions of concern are more tendentious. And I, I mean, you brought this up, too. Like, uh, yeah, who's this guy? Bice here. He, he's like Gosh, ranting Bice. that Haywood likes Lenin, uh, for example. And, and yes. it, it is somehow. Uh, and weirdly, he stole that from James Lindsay, who's an atheist who is somehow weirdly associated with these 
with these evangelical types in a, in a general attack on effectiveness of the right. I mean, they're all are, you know, betas who want to be ineffective. Uh, and uh, like the Lenin thing was started by, by, by Lindsay because I've, I've done several, I've reviewed a biography of Lenin. I've talked about Lenin and, and Lenin is a very positive figure in, in some senses. I mean, obviously, and I've made this clear, I mean, Lenin is a very evil figure in many ways, but the fact is he was an extremely disciplined and effective political organizer who also flipped a coin 20 times in a row and it came up heads every time, which is why he ended up where we remember Lenin. But this idea that somehow it's because I make clearly delineated statements about certain sub aspects of Lenin's abilities that are positive, that that somehow that delegitimates the concept of no enemies to the right, because the same person, namely me, is saying these things. It just, I mean, yeah, it doesn't even make any logical sense. No, it's, it doesn't. It, it, it's just an attempt to to avoid substantive discussion because these people can't hack it. Yeah, I mean, if you go back in history, that most things are gray and you'd study people even that are historical villains uh, from our perspective, there's going to be admirable traits yeah, that I mean, you find. Napoleon's another example of this too. Like Napoleon killed millions of people uh, I mean, admittedly, not like in the modern sense where we nuke, nuke cities, but he killed you know, a lot of people basically for personal aggrandizement. And we can all agree that uh, killing people for self-aggrandizement is, is, is bad morally. But the, you know, the fact is that Napoleon had an, a, you know, a, a lot of personal virtues and effectiveness at a time when those things were relevant in European history. And you, you have to be able to discuss those things without saying, well, you know, we can't talk about the virtues of someone who also has vices. And it, I mean, everybody has virtues and vices. So obviously just a, a attempt to avoid substantive discussion. What, what about someone like MLK? I'm just throwing this out there because he's lionized in, in even evangelical circles. Even some mm -hmm. of the people attacking you have made very positive uh, statements about Martin Luther King Jr., even though he was a heretic, he was an adulterer, he was, you know, I, I don't know, all kinds of things. Um, that seems to be acceptable. And, uh, but you can't say anything about an authoritarian. You can't say a Protestant Franco without <laughs> right. having... It's a good example, but I mean, it, it makes... Martin Luther King was a scumbag, obviously, but the... It, it, and for the moment, though, or for that time, he actually had... I've kind of probably turned more against MLK in terms of his historical relevance and effectiveness than I would in the past. But the fact is that was a troubled time in American history where there were actual injustices going on. And uh, you know, those were probably exaggerated. MLK probably had you know, less a less savory role in it than in a less, he was focused on less savory goals than people say nowadays. But the fact is that you, know, you can make the argument that he accomplished certain necessary or as part of accomplishing certain necessary changes in American society. But that's not the argument that they make, as you say. And again, I don't like pointing out hypocrisy because pointing out hypocrisy is not a self-proving argument. And everybody, uh, all the enemies of people on the right are, are hypocritical and pointing it out has never accomplished a, a, a anything. But it is a good it is a good point in this in this context that that these the same people praise you know, someone who is a total scumbag like Martin Luther King. And uh, and whereas someone who has a much higher percentage of virtues devices, say Francisco Franco, you know, those, that person is somehow anathema you know, in, in every yeah. way, shape and form. And it, so the, it, what seems to have happened is the um, values of the left or, or I guess the framing of the left has been imported into the right. Uh, you had in our, I think it was in your article uh, on no enemies to the right. The first one in the first paragraph, you talk about what 
leftism is to you, what, what you think mm -hmm. needs to be defeated. And you boiled it down to two principles. Could you just let us know, the audience, what those are? Yes, and that, I, it, it did cross the back of my mind about 10 minutes ago that that was probably a useful thing to do. So thank you for returning to this. Oh, good. Uh, so the, uh, leftism, in my definition, is, though, to be fair, I partially stole most of this from Roger Scruton, uh, is the, the persistence of two principles derived from the essence of enlightenment political thought. And the Enlightenment is only a political movement. You know, the, people try to claim the so-called Enlightenment has like scientific progress. And those things have nothing to do with Enlightenment and long predate the Enlightenment. So Enlightenment political thought focuses around, revolves around two core principles. And these are the principles of the, the left, because there's a direct line from the Enlightenment through 1789 to, to 2023. The first is total emancipation from all continued bonds not continuously chosen. So emancipation, no one is to be is to be uh, hampered from total freedom in any way. And secondarily, or no, second, the uh, total forced egalitarianism, though you can argue these two things are in tension with each other, but that's a, a, a separate argument. Together, those things are, are, are uh, serve to create a utopia, a heaven on earth. And that is the the entirety of left thought. Anyone who says that the left is classical liberalism, uh, which is just a sub-branch of this, but it's a disguised sub-branch, is just wrong. These, these are the core beliefs of the left, and they are relatively new beliefs, a couple hundred years old, and uh, but they animate 100% of left behavior, either directly or indirectly. You would, you would distinguish that from classical liberalism? I would no. I would not distinguish it. I think classical oh, liberalism is, is a subset of this. Despite that's what I thought. Okay, contrary. In fact, I I need I got I had a nice uh, polite exchange with Yoram Hazoni the other day on on Twitter, and now I've agreed to to uh, review his book Conservatism, and I intend to use it as a platform for discussing why classical liberalism liberalism is merely a subset of left poison. Yeah, because what they, the the argument seemed to be between the left and now, I guess the classical liberal right, if you want to call it that, is like, well, equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome or something like that. But they're still after the same goal. Yes, absolutely. And, and, I mean, those things are basically nomenclature designed to hide. You know, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think everyone's being dishonest. I think there are people who think that, well, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can have a subset of left doctrine without ultimately being swallowed whole by the parade of horrors that we see unfolding before us in the present day, but they're wrong. So how, I mean, without uh, giving a drawn out history lesson, uh, I think people are probably curious how we got here, especially in the most religious right kind of conservative circles, importing these, these standards from the left that we don't find these in our Bibles, right? Mm -hmm. We don't find these in our historic Christian doctrines or traditions. But somehow we've all we, we defend them now. I don't say mean we as in me, myself or you or anyone, but we in Christendom, these things are defended as if they are cardinal doctrines and mm -hmm. those who deviate are heretics. I just find that weird and interesting. Well, yeah, I'm not an expert on the history, particularly of religion in in America, but I do know a fair bit of history. And I think the the sad thing about America and I mean, this is slightly different in the West more broadly like England and, and Europe, but we'll, we'll leave those aside. The, it goes back to what you talked about, the American founding with virtue politics, Hamiltonian, Jeffersonianism. The, the, the sad irony is that the American founding was functionally informed by the Enlightenment, but it, it didn't appear to be uh, in its extreme forms or didn't appear to have suffer the same defects because of the unique virtue of the society of the time. 
So basically, America has spent much of its history eating the seed corn of that virtue, much of which is based upon its religious underpinning and thereby sequentially revealing the underlying poison of the Enlightenment. And this accelerated, of course, at the beginning of the 20th century with Woodrow Wilson and the progressives bringing in things that were explicitly anti-religious, that is, sometimes were clothed in religious doctrine, like Unitarians who believe in one God at most, which was very, very common in New England and, and things like that. And then, of right. course, getting into the post-war era where America seemed like it was riding high, but again, the, the underlying poisons were working their way through the system. And you can argue why they've emerged now or you know what the Frankfurt School has to do with it or what have you. But these things were baked into the cake from the beginning because they're baked into the cake because they're based upon these, these pillars of the Enlightenment. And every so often I get these insane responses like, the Enlightenment isn't that. Immanuel Kant said X, Y, Z. I'm like, I don't really get, I mean, or Hegel. I, people keep accusing me online of being engaging in the Hegelian dialectic. I mean, I, the only thing I know about Hegel is that he referred to Napoleon as a world soul. There's literally, I, I don't know what the Hegelian dialectic is. Don't care. Not interested. Same thing with Kant. I mean, there are other pe people who are political philosophers in this, in this time period, but they're not relevant to the underlying philosophy of the Enlightenment, which is what has created the horrors that we see around us today. Well, I think this is very important because uh, what you're saying is that there's some almost like inevitable things that were going to take place. Uh, if you look back and you you know what I don't I don't know if you're tracing this to the Constitution because I see that as less enlightenment, but maybe the Declaration of Independence more so and some it's of the all assumptions. Part, part of the same thing. I mean, these it, it panders to. I've made this point repeatedly, but fun, functionally, the left offers what the serpent in the garden offered. That is, mm -hmm. you, you, ye, ye shall be as gods. Everybody is emancipated. Everybody is equal. You will have a utopia. It just took a long time, until, relatively late in human history, for this to become a real political movement, as opposed to a kind of you know heretical sect thing that's sub rosa in a few places. Right, because well, the importance of this in my mind is that there are people on on the right, on our side, I guess you could say, in a way. Uh, who want to attribute all of the changes we saw in 2020 to, well, it, it's a World Economic Forum. It's it's he it's Hegel. It's just Hegel. It's just the Frankfurt School. It's just there's a boogeyman somewhere who's paying everyone off, who's giving them like bags of cash or something so that they do something that uh, is contrary to the American spirit. When when what you're saying is actually no, this was this was present in the American spirit in yes. a way. And it's and, and it's it wasn't rooted out and um, it's just grown. And that's our problem. Yes. Uh, it, it's homegrown. And, and I think I've, I've come around to that opinion myself, um, just reading history and, and seeing that, hey, some of these ideas, they, they haven't they've been here for a long time. They, even the puritanical kind of spirit of we're going to make this great city on a hill that uh, the whole world's going to see. And, and it's almost like a new Jerusalem like that. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff is it's kind of weird when I read it. But yeah. That was here at the foundation of the country. So you can you can get away with that. Like you can you can pay lip service to emancipation if the entire society uh, is has the kind of classic definition or classical definition of liberty, which is ordered liberty. If everyone lives his life and social stigma enforces that in a way that you're not emancipated, you can talk about emancipation all day long, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. Uh, and that's that's kind of what we see here. And I mean, don't get me wrong, people like George Soros or evil and the, and the World Economic Forum is full of you know, bad people. And there is lots of it, it, it payoffs to advance the evil causes of the left. But the, it, those things are just accelerating 
the slide rather than causing the slide. So I have to ask you in our uh, few moments uh, together, since we've been, we've been talking now for half an hour um, about uh, foundationalism, because that it seems to be that is something that some of the viewers here, because I share an audience with people who are in the G3 circles and mm -hmm. some of them are on Twitter. They've seen Josh Bice, the uh, president of G3 Ministries, um, accuse you. I think you referenced this earlier about liking Lenin and so forth. But uh, one of the sticking points seems to be that you, um, you your philosophy of foundationalism is uh, being promoted by some kind of a secret society that's almost Masonic. <laughs> um and that it is uh, at the root this totalitarian society that wants to it, it it's like Franco, right? It wants to come in and crush with an iron fist, and that you're fine being the dictator of that. So you have, I guess, a, a, an issue <laughs> yourself, which I, I thought that was just humorous. Some things you've said about yourself, but um, I, I just want to give you a chance to address that. I know you have online, but uh, there's a lot of people listening who probably haven't seen what you've said online. Sure, absolutely. Uh, uh, by the way, just as a sidebar, Franco was not totalitarian. There is, there, uh, other than the National Socialists, there has never been a totalitarian right government uh, in 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 modern history. Franco was the very farthest thing from a uh, from a totalitarian. But Fair enough. Here, no, there. Uh, so the <laughs> this all got started when a uh, Antifa asset, some uh, it was a literal Antifa asset, some Guardian, the Guardian, as I believe, a far left wing UK paper, wrote an article on me about my political philosophy of foundationalism, which is, uh, I have 12 pillars. It's a uh, designed to be a, a, a practical reality-based set of rules for people to set up a future society, not an ideology. That is, it's not designed to create your utopia or give you all the answers. These are just signposts along the way. And I call this foundationalism, and I think it's pretty cool. So everyone should read it on my website, the Foundationalist Manifesto, if you're bored. So he connected this to something, uh, two other things. First of all, that I have a bunch of money, which is true, because I used to make shampoo and I sold a shampoo making business. So I'm rich. Yay. Uh, I like being rich. I've been rich. I've been poor. Rich is better, though. It's probably <laughs> spiritually corrosive, but as everybody knows. Uh, but I also have some interesting pieces on, uh, on that topic on my website, including... Uh, St. John Chrysostom's excellent book on wealth and poverty. But in any case, he connected that as well as I'm involved along with numerous other people in a nascent uh, Christian men's group called the uh, Society for American Civic Review, SACR, which has a couple chapters scattered across the country. And I've also written on my, on my site about how in some future societal collapse, the reorganizing principle of society is likely to be local people uh, providing for uh, defense and patronage and that would rebuild society. So he, he put all these things together into <laughs> this bizarre yeah. construct where Rich Haywood wants to be a warlord through the imposition of the Society for American Civic Renewal everywhere, implementing foundationalism. <laughs> None of these things are actually connected to each other except through me. Though, <laughs> sorry, it's just kind of. Funny. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, it's true that all these things are, except for the warlord thing, which he basically just made up out of whole cloth, are, are true in some kind of sense. Like they're they're not like you know the the Queen of England is a lizard alien, or I guess the King of England <laughs> now. Uh, but uh, but they're not actually connected to each other. So, but this is something that that has has gotten traction, and it's it's kind of, I would say it's easy thing for my enemies to use, but it's not really useful to my enemies because it makes me look kind of cool and based and awesome. He's rich. And he, he has all this, all this cool stuff. So, right. but people like James Lindsay, like seem to think this is like a, like a, like the Lenin thing, like a self-executing attack on me. So all these things are un unconnected. 
I think they're actually all pretty cool. But if you're interested in any one of them, they're uh, they're all they're they, they're not. You don't pull the string and find out that there's some some one ring behind them that unites them all. So you just I, I have to just point this out. You just named the society, the supposedly secret society, yeah. and what and and it's a website. <laughs> the, it, well, it doesn't sound that secret to me. I guess is it's just maybe it's exclusive. It's not secret. Well, it's exclusive in the sense that okay. it's for Christian Christian men. And there's a couple. There's I actually don't have. I don't actually belong to to the any kind of local group because there isn't I live in Indiana and there's there's not a group here. Uh there's a couple in in Idaho and uh and it's a couple in Texas. Um and there's some others. I mean this, this is a very small group of people who sit around and you know talk about Christian men's things. There's nothing there's nothing secret. There's no underlying Okay, uh, that's what I thought. It, it, it has I, a just... website. I mean yeah, people can go look at its principles. Its principles are anodyne and they're not like yeah. stealing something. They're just is what it is. Well, I, I had, there was someone who, if I if I name this person, every people would recognize who sh, uh, the, that per, this person is. But uh, you know, they reached out to me a while ago, and just, uh, we're very concerned about this too. And and this uh, and that's the first time it was before Josh Bice that there was a secret group, and then there was a website, and then I, I laughed myself because I'm like, wait, you're going to give me the website to the secret <laughs> group? That's um, I mean and yeah. So this is I don't know what who came up with this uh, line of attack, but the the attempt seems to be, in my opinion to tie you to Christian nationalism somehow, mm -hmm. that you're funding it, that you're behind it, uh, you're benefiting. And, and so the whole movement must be cast aside because they can put it around uh, the neck of the movement. I am vaguely aware of what Christian nationalism is. I have a copy of Stephen Wolf's book and I've kind of read it and I, I decided not to review it because it relied on a lot of Protestant reformed theology that's beyond my, my can, though I do did go to a Dutch reformed elementary school, as I, as I like to say. And I'm I'm friendly on Twitter with some of these Christian nationalist types. And certainly what I hear about Christian nationalism sounds fine to me as, as I put in a piece talking about the the Eastern Roman Empire. Christianity and nationalism are like you know, Reese's peanut butter cups, like peanut butter and chocolate, two great tastes that seem like they go well together. But uh -huh, yeah. beyond that, I have nothing to do with the the Protestant movement of, of Christian nationalism. I haven't given any money to Christian nationalists. I mean, Maybe they should ask me. I might, I suppose. But, uh, but you know, uh, it's weird. Like I was at church yesterday, Eastern Orthodox, and some people came up to me and said, that, well, my, my, I have I know people who who go to a Protestant church locally here in, in the Indianapolis area. And uh, who's Owen Strachan? Is he? Owen Strand. Owen Strand. Yeah. Uh, and and so he's like some big evangelical type in this general. Well, theory, isn't yeah, he? I, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I, whatever. Apparently, he was came to a local church and spent hours. I haven't looked at the videos yet. Attacking me. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. To your church? No, no. To a local Protestant. Oh, a local church. People, Protestant church. Okay. People who go to my church know people who go there. Apparently, he never named me, but the whole thing was apparently about me. I guess about like the evils of of. Christian nationalist. I, I haven't listened to this stuff. Wait, well, you're in Indiana, right? Right. It's, but it, this was then in Indiana, like a couple. This was in Indiana because he he's in Arkansas. I thought that's, yeah, so he traveled to your. Well, okay. but, I mean, he was probably paid to travel, and I think that's an underlying subtext of a lot of this stuff is that a lot of these people make money off of doing this. I mean, that may not be true in this case. Okay. I, I, I didn't right. know personally. I just thought it was bizarre. Like here I am minding my own business on a Sunday morning in an Eastern Orthodox church. And people are telling me that like a few miles down the road, random Protestants are attacking me, though not by name, apparently. So I, I don't know. I, I, the whole thing is just very strange to me, I guess is my point. Yeah, that, that's a common thing I've also seen. I don't know if that's a, a unique to Christians where you, you attack, but you never mention the name. Um, we saw this during the social justice fights a lot. Uh -huh. That uh, they, I, I don't know if it's viewed as like, 
bad manners to say the name or so, I don't know, but well, but I, th um, I think it's more my assumption is, as I said earlier, none of these people ever link to the underlying written pieces. They try mightily to yeah. make sure that nobody can look up to say what the people they're attacking actually say themselves, that it, it, it's probably just an attempt to to frame right. the discussion in their to their own benefit. So, so I, I know in our few minutes uh, left together, I, there's a few, there's two things I wanted to ask you about briefly. Uh, one is your religious views. One is your political views. So I'll start with the religious views mm -hmm. since we're already on the topic. Uh, you said you grew up uh, Dutch Reformed. Is that right? No, no, I grew up Roman Catholic, but I went to a Dutch Reformed elementary oh. school. Uh, Interesting. For, okay. For, yeah, whatever. Nine. And then, but did you convert to Eastern Orthodoxy or how did that process? Yeah, so six years ago, I converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. For a while, we had, my family had been actually attending another Reformed church, a Presbyterian uh, Presbyterian church. Um, so, but it was kind of inevitable from, from my perspective because of my Roman Catholic background that I, I would, it, it, when I was returning, as it were, or more fully embracing uh, my Christian belief that Eastern Orthodoxy is a logical, logical ending place for me. My wife was, was not raised Roman Catholic, so it was a bit of a, a, a less obvious landing place for her, but it, it has, uh, it has been a, a great joy. Was it the doctrine? Was it the liturgy? Was it, what, what was the thing for you? Well, the doctrine and the liturgy are, are important though. I'm not, I'm like, unlike like some people are really into like online orthodoxy and stuff. I, I, I'm not, have nothing to do, do with that, but the, um, it, I, I like to say, and people, I'm sure that some people take offense at this, but there's more Christ in the Orthodox Church. Christ is is very much in evidence in a way. It certainly wasn't in evidence in the Presbyterian Church we, we were attending, uh, but the uh, the the focus is Christ. There, I mean, Orthodox converts are probably largely politically conservative nowadays, but there's it is not a political thing. The the the, the church is strictly my church at least is strictly non-political. There's just, there's just yeah. plenty of Christ. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. No, I, I, I've seen that this trend. That's one of the reasons I wanted to ask is uh, young men, especially uh, who grew up evangelical are converting to Eastern Orthodoxy here and there. I've had some friends and, and I've, I went to an Orthodox church uh, for a service once just mm -hmm. to kind of see it was all in Greek. And uh, I, right. That's I a problem. That a lot of the American Orthodox churches are, are ethnic chauvinist. Uh, and you know, one element of that is that they, they don't use English, which they really should be. Uh, like my church uses is Greek Orthodox, but uses primarily English. Um, the I think that, and this is a longer topic, I don't, I don't necessarily get distracted, but the, the attraction of young men to Orthodoxy, I think is largely because the Orthodox are the only non-feminized uh, Christian religious de denomination. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably subsets of Protestants and Evangelicals. They're not feminized, but there, there is there is no feminization of the of the Orthodox Church, which does not mean that there is not a, a large female presence. For you know, Orthodox are very big in iconography, and so you have female saints, you have male saints, but the, the there is no feminization. Uh, the the and you don't have some of the you don't have the problems that the Catholics do with homosexual priests. Well, you probably have some occasionally, but the Orthodox have different problems. Uh, yeah. Every church has problems. But I think to young men who are tired of being told that you know, becoming more like a woman is the the path to Christ, uh, Orthodox will not offer you that as the path to Christ. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating to me. I think a lot of um, th there are evangelicals and Protestants, particularly those, I, I would say, more on the ref very reform side who would 
they they you you're already kind of a, a black sheep in a way just because of that because uh you know protestant doctrine would have the same problem with eastern orthodoxy that they have with roman catholicism mm -hmm. that is the the theosis uh doesn't make a distinction between sanctification and justification and protestants mm -hmm. are very big on justification by faith sure um and and so you know i'm wondering if that is also i think that plays into it i, I noticed josh vice was trying to use say that you're an eastern you're eastern orthodox as if that was relevant yeah to political I mean, discussion uh, but. Right. Uh, I, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I, I write it. I, I write occasionally on Eastern Orthodox stuff, but mostly book reviews. I mean, I'm, most of my site is book reviews or my own thoughts masquerading as right. book reviews, but it tends not to overlap with politics. Um, well, let me ask you about politics since we only have like three mm -hmm. minutes here. Um, are you would you consider yourself? So, so you already ruled out Christian nationalists. You, you're not that. Uh, at least you don't take the label. To uh, nationalism, you're not opposed, but yeah. you're. Okay, so conservative. If if I said Charles Hayward's a conservative, would you correct me? Well, uh, I would because conservatism is the word is tainted in the American context. It, you know, it's redolent of zombie Reaganism and you know that Judas, as I like to call him, William F. Buckley, and these kind of failed efforts over the past sixty or seventy years to take America in the right direction. I mean, and not just failed miserably and totally failed. So I don't like the term conservative. It also calls up what I call scrutinism after Roger Scruton whom I admire, but was fond of being a beautiful loser and thought that was adequate. Well, he used to muse on how beautiful English churchyards are. I mean, like, well, they may be beautiful, but when they're overrun by raping invaders from countries that you've you've invited, uh, you know, they, they, your churchyard isn't so damn beautiful anymore. Is it, Roger? Right. <laughs> so, so right. I'm yeah. opposed to conservatism in that sense. So because you uh, define the left in Roger Scruton's terms, um, it, it sounds like you have somewhat of a, a I don't know if association is the term, but you, you like paleo conservatives. It sounds like you associate like Paul Godfrey. You're on Chronicles podcast. Sure. Yeah. But but you want a more aggressive approach. You know, is, I mean, foundationalism, which is my political philosophy, right. is fundamentally a radical political philosophy in the sense that it requires a remaking of society after society will inevitably fracture again like just be like josh bice think like hayward's gonna run around with like a 20 pound sledge breaking up society on his own or something but you know society is gonna come to an end because the, the because the left is fundamentally anti-reality yeah. well hopefully and, you have like you know a mad max war suit or something no i do not have a mad max war suit. so i have a couple of guns because it's indiana but you know i, I, I <laughs> right. unfortunately don't have my my supply of military grade weaponry is sadly lacking and uh and maybe i shouldn't change that but it's um uh but foundationalism isn't radical in the sense that it's the politics of reality that is that takes into account human nature as well as the aspirations of mankind, both secular and spiritual. So it's not meant to be radical in the sense of utopian, like we're going to have some, we're going to solve all our problems and everyone's going to be happy forever kind of thing, like a Marxist kind of thing. So it's radical right. in the sense of the society has to be remade, but it's not radical in its aspirations or goals. So... I guess I don't be offended by this, but when I looked at your foundationalism, I, I thought to myself, well, this is basically conservative. That's what I thought, because I thought, well, this is taking true and valuable insights from the past and saying this is how human nature functions. And we should 
we, we should keep these. We should uh, yeah, implement I'm not these. Offended. I just think that like, the, word, the word is tainted. But yeah. to, so objectively, if you if people came from Mars and said, tell me about your politics and had a reasonable degree of cons uh, reasonable definition of conservatism, they, they would probably think the same thing. I think this is what's happening with Christian nationalism and, and all these uh, approaches is that there's this recognition that the right has failed and that we need a new rallying point. And so you're providing that some, someone like Stephen Wolf's providing that yeah. and you're being attacked by establishment types who want to keep going with the old ways of, uh, I guess, conserving, conserving or lack thereof. Yeah. So um, anyway, well, Charles Hayward, I, I appreciate it so much. You've been a, a great guest. You've been patient with me, which I appreciate. And um, I, uh, I look forward to hearing more and, and talking more in the future. Awesome. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.